Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the officially unofficial Death Leopard podcast, Death Leopard. Now the number 75 has particular relevance and significance to the album we are reviewing because Death Leopard's self-titled 2015 album has 75 songs on it. No, it doesn't. I'm twisting your melons. It only has 14. However, that is a lot of songs to get your teeth into. So we'll be splitting our review into two episodes. And today we'll be looking at the first record from the double album Gatefold edition of Death Leopard. And joining me again, as they did in the trenches of the slang review, the Pyromania review, the Hysteria Side 2 review and the Drastic Symphonies review are the forever young Kurt Taft and the energised Paul Burns. Hello Kurt, hello Paul. Hi! Greetings. Paul did sound energised, you less forever young, I thought there, Kurt. But nonetheless, you're keeping your nickname. And just forewarning that when we do part two, you'll have new nicknames. So it's something to look forward to straight away for you. Right, Paul, you're wearing a Def Leppard, as in this album. It's going to be very confusing, isn't it? You are wearing a Def Leppard, as in this album, T-shirt. What does that tell us about what you think of this album? Firstly, it tells you that I think the artwork's cracking, which is why I got it in the first instance. I absolutely love the cover of this. And secondly, it will tell you that I'm very, very positive as a whole about this really brilliant Latter-day Def Leppard record. Kurt, you are not wearing a Def Leppard, Def Leppard t-shirt. But nonetheless, I still want to know what you think about it. So this album was well-reviewed and well-received by Def Leppard fans on its release back in 2015. So my question to you, Kurt, is was it well-received by you and has your opinion of it altered in the subsequent eight years? It was extremely well-received by me. Um, When it came out, I had only heard Let's Go. So literally everything after that was new to me the very first time I got the album. And, I mean, it was instant. And I wrote a review of it at the time, and I subsequently went back to look at what I wrote back then, and my thoughts haven't changed. So that tells me I wasn't hearing this album through, you know, rose-colored headphones, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's held up 100%. Is that review still available if somebody listening to this wanted to go and read it? Yes, it is buried on my concert website somewhere. Okay, if we can unbury it, dig it up, then I'll put the link And obviously, with Kurt's permission, I will put the link in the show notes below. So as well as listening to Kurt talk about it, you can read his words and imagine Kurt's voice. It'll be amazing. Okay. So, Paul, this is the Def Leppard self-titled album. So my question to you is, what message is a band trying to send when they release an album bearing their name? And is this the right Def Leppard album to be named Def Leppard? One way or another, a band is obviously trying to make some form of statement when they self-title an album. So whether that be that they're here to do something new, it's like a reinvention, or whether they're wanting to kind of define exactly who they are. Or I suppose there's a little bit of crossover between those two things, which leads me to sort of, I I had a little look at some classic self-titled 
albums. And I've just mm. picked out five other classic self-titled albums to give us a jumping off point to think, well, to what extent, therefore, is this appropriate? Uh, I've got for you Metallica. The Black Album is actually, of course, called Metallica. Ditto the White Album, that is The Beatles. Rage Against the Machine, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. Five classic rock albums that are self-titled. Now, I wouldn't put this album necessarily in that company in terms of quality, but this particular album is attempting, I think, certainly in a post-Sparkle Lounge world, to make a statement that says, we're very, very comfortable with who we are again, and we're entirely comfortable being Def Leppard, and I think really critically they're entirely comfortable sounding like Def Leppard, which I think they miss on Sparkle Lounge. So, yes, I think it's entirely appropriate. It's self-titled. I think they waited for the right album on which to do it. I, I think this is a better title than Songs from the Sparkle Lounge. So let's just go with that. I think this is another occasion where it was Phil who came up with the name. It seems to me, whenever I read or hear, read an interview or hear an interview with the band about any album, it feels like it's always Phil who comes up with a name. So I'm not too sure if I am right on that, but on this album, he, he certainly did. Is this the right album to be called Def Leppard, in your opinion, Kurt? Yeah, I really do. At this point, especially, you know, post-Vault, they were kind of bouncing all over the place sound-wise and getting more and more diverse. So by this point, to Paul's point, you know, they were comfortable with who they were. So you have a lot of different sounds and textures on this album and it does sound like Def Leppard. You have classic, you have new stuff, you have stuff that sounds much more like maybe some other artists, but with a Def Leppard slant to it. So I think that's kind of where it came from is getting asked, you know, what does this new album sound like? And they were basically just Def Leppard. And yeah, it sounds like Def Leppard. It the self-titled thing almost got used in 99 for euphoria before i think fairly late in the game they decided to call it euphoria so i'm glad that the plans changed a because i love the euphoria title for that album and b that it got held back for this because i think it fits this album perfectly paul do you think this is a cohesive sounding album because i know we've discussed before and i know it's important to you that an album sounds cohesive that there is some sort of thread that runs through it whether it be in type of songs or whether it be the the production or just the, the sonic quality of it in terms of an album called Def leopard then is this cohesive or is it i mean you referenced the the white album by the beatles which is anything but cohesive it is very much an absolute hodgepodge of many many different crazy songs and normal songs and what have you so does this fall more in a is this like a, a white album in terms of being a mad mix or is it a bit more like a black album metallica in terms of you know it all sounds like it should be in the same place to you yeah i think this is cohesive where diamond star halos isn't and i do see diamond star halos as a sequel to this album kind of sonically if you like and an expansion upon that they spread their wings a bit here, obviously. They managed to sound like Def Leppard while spreading their wings a little bit. On Diamond Star Halos, they continue with the wing spreading, but don't quite, for me, land on sounding like Def Leppard. This is more Black Album than it is White Album. I think Diamond Star Halos is more White Album than Black Album. Right then, so moving on to a little bit of background. There's not loads of background for this, and we actually will touch on Diamond Star Halos for a reason. 
Um, and we'll come to that now. So the album, Death Leopard, it was released on the 30th of October 2015. At the time of release and still today, the seven and a half years that had passed between the previous studio album, Songs from the Sparkle Lounge, and the release of this album, Death Leopard, remains the longest time between studio albums of original music from Def Leppard. Now, due to the years of release, the, the gap between Def Leppard and Diamond Star Halos in 2022 looks equally as big, but it actually equates to a mere six and a half years. So there is one year less between Def Leppard and Diamond Star Halos than there is Songs from the Sparkle Lounge and Def Leppard. The album was recorded during 2014 and 2015 across three sessions primarily, and they were mostly taken in Joe's garage. It was produced by Ronan McHugh. This is also Def Leppard's first studio album released after the end of their long-standing record contract with Universal Mercury Records. So in Europe, it was released on Ear Music, this album actually spawned no less than four singles, which I thought was quite unusual considering how recent an album it is. So it had Let's Go, Dangerous, Man Enough, and We Belong in that order. And we will be coming to all of those songs in this episode today. Before we begin, is there any very important background that I have missed out there? I mean, the only thing that comes to mind to me, and I didn't know how much of a, a big deal to make about this, but it feels like I should at least mention it. It was during this time that Viv had been diagnosed with cancer. And I think he was on the mend by this point, and it was, you know, everything was looking okay and everything. So I do know of those three main sessions. There was one of them, one of the smaller sessions that he wasn't actually at. But the way that the band record and, you know, doing things remotely and things on their own, that wasn't a huge uh, deal. But what's cool about this album as well, and you hear a lot of, is this is an album, unlike Songs from the Sparkle Lounge, where a lot of it was recorded and written in the same room together. And also, you know, parts of it, like, back, you know, back and tapes and whatever, were recorded live, at least as a starting point. So there is that that's going on in this album that wasn't going on in the album before and doesn't go on in the album afterwards. So it is probably something from a background point of view that, that marks this album out as a little bit different to what came before and what comes after in terms of it's Def Leppard very much as a band in a room together again, writing an album and recording an album. So we are going to go track by track. Now, like a Def Leppard's dream, when this album came out, there was actually a fan pack version where you could get it as a CD in a little box type thing with a classic rock magazine and had a few other bits and bobs in there as well. First things first, that was released in the UK. Could you get that in the States as well, Kurt? I do have it. I don't remember how I got it. <laughs> Probably ordered it online, but I do have it. If it came out here in stores, it would have been way late because whenever we get any UK-based magazines like that, usually it's like a month or two after you know they're actually out cool. so anyway it's very convenient because in the magazine that came with it it has a track by track little synopsis for each song a little bit of background so what we're going to do is we go through the tracks here i'm going to read out what the magazine says for each song and then we can use that as a little jumping off point to discuss the song but obviously we can talk about whatever we else we want to with these songs as well so the first song is let's go Magic in 
that was a single as well. It was the first single. It is a Savage and Elliot composition. And all of these narratives are written by Joe. So he says, We knew right away that this was the perfect opening track for the album. It's like Let's Get Rocked, Pour Some Sugar On Me, and Rock of Ages. The last two were not openers of albums, by the way. <laughs> but let's not, let's not split hairs. But it was classic Leopard. That's what this is. So we write pop rock tunes with big, chunky guitars and anthemic lyrics. That's the whole ethos of what we do. I only wrote the verse lyrics, but I wanted it to be a call to arms, like a mature version of Rock Rock Till You Drop. It's a savage Elliot composition, but it's really a sav song. So the writing credits should actually be Savage in huge letters and Elliot in tiny letters. Kurt, are you feeling the sadness in Let's Go? Yeah, I think initially it may have been like slower or something. There was some pop artist that they were using a comparison to and they essentially had to rock it up. Someone had the suggestion to kind of rock it up, maybe speed it up a bit. And thank God they did um, because, I mean, it is as classic Lep as you can get, which is a relief considering Sav's couple of, you know, contributions writing wise prior to that that sounded either like queen or gary glitter so it was nice to get a first single with his writing credit on it that sounds about as classic death leopard as you can get on the point about it being an opener on the one hand it's perfect and on the other hand i think you could make a small argument that says it's a little bit mid-paced or even slow maybe for an opener they could have shot out the gate with dangerous which is the second track I, that's that's maybe the only sort of thing on that the song itself i absolutely love it's clearly self homage so the album title is a statement and so is the opening track it was the first single and they don't quite rip themselves off they do do that later in the album they don't quite rip themselves off but it's pour some sugar on me reimagined that riff it sounds amazing the guitar tone is absolutely brilliant you can put that guitar inside your mouth and you can chew on it it's just this they just nailed what a Def Leppard guitar tone should be in 2015 2023 as we sit and record this now the very notion of celebrating a live performance and what it's like to see a live show is something I really like as well it's a very very there's a band i love i love the scorpions and the scorpions do this loads because it's a really easy well to mine for lyrics to talk about how great it is to be on stage and enjoy the adoration of a crowd metallica do it on a not completely well-known song called uh, lords of summer which, which another song i love that gets a bit canned by a lot of metallica fans but it, again, just celebrates this idea of the live experience. Love the use of the backing vocals in the verse. The acoustic breakdown into the solo is brilliant. And I did want to ask if either of you knows, is this both of them playing solos on this track, Vivian and Phil? Is it just one of them? Because at one point, I think I can definitely hear harmonised solos. And I don't know who's playing which. Uh, Kurt, you're nodding at me. Can you elaborate on that, do you think? Yeah, they actually trade off to where it goes from one and then back to the other, and then I think it kind of finishes, and they kind of bring it home with the same note, but it definitely does flip back and forth um, between who's soloing, so it's awesome to, and it's, I think it's the first of multiple occasions on the album where they do that, which I don't know that that happened at all on Sparkle Lounge, so 
that was one of many things that the first time I heard this track was an immediate relief. And to kind of build on that, I love Sparkle Lounge. It hasn't held up as well as this album has after the same amount of time or more. But the things that this thing addressed for me personally, the first time I heard it were the production, because I think Sparkle Lounge sounds like crap. And the song length and structure because that was very, very rigid on Sparkle Lounge. You didn't have anything over five minutes. Everything was almost exactly the same structure-wise, whereas this song breathes. It's over five minutes, and it's the opening track, and it's the first single. It's almost unheard of in modern you know, Death Leopard times. So all those things. I mean, we had the layered vocals, as you mentioned, layered guitars. And to also tie back to your um, you know comments on it going on about what it's like for a live show. I had the extremely fortunate uh, opportunity to see the first performance of this live. And as of right now, I've seen the last performance of it live. (laughs) So, you know, this song, it's very special for me. It's not necessarily my favorite on the album, but it's very special just because it was the first thing we got to hear from this. I got to see it live at the first performance. I got to see the last one so far. So you know, I, it just means a lot to me. So even if it's not my favorite song on the album, it's always going to be a special one for me. We've all seen this song live because I think we all saw them in 2015 or 16, whenever it may be, when they were supporting this album. And I'm assuming they didn't change the set list that much. And I know when I saw them, they definitely opened with it. I'm imagining they must have opened with it when you both saw them as well. Paul, you're nodding your head as well. So... How did you think it went down as a live song for you and as an opener and a live show? Yeah, me and you were at that same show at the Manchester Arena in 20... Was it 15? 15 or 16? Yeah. Uh, I always... The thing with that show is I always come back to how dreadful the bass sound was in the room that night. We've touched on that on a previous podcast, I think. So uh, that's the first thing that uh, I always think of in regards to it, which is a real pity because uh, just... Again, with despite what I've sort of said about it maybe being a little bit mid-paced or what have you, because of the subject matter, it is the perfect open to a show. It, even, um, you know, the, 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 the heat goes on as the lights come down and all this business. It's literally what it's what it's actually talking through your literal experience whilst you are you're being narrated to. Your experience is mm. being narrated to whilst you're going through it. So it works perfectly in that regard. And Joe on this there's there's a couple of little vocal things on joe i'd like to sort of just touch on which is he seems to love singing these words there's a bit where he really wraps his tongue around the line where he talks about it overloads on electric light that that mm. um the sound those l sounds go on you're the english teacher neil what's the phrase i'm looking for what's that is that it's not assonance is it or or dis- what is it is that alliteration well it'll just be alliteration yeah yeah, there we are. It's alliteration, and it's beautifully done. And just in the outro, there's he gives it a a, a, a higher pitched. There's a let's go that he gives over the outro solo, where he really nails the note absolutely beautifully as well. So there's so much about this as well. It's just we're here to have a load of fun, and it's a word we use so much when we talk about Death Leopard. But out the gate, you know, for the next hour or so, with the running time in this album, you're gonna have a right laugh. I'm really glad you mentioned that, Paul, as well, because that's something that I thought about it as well in terms of there's a lot of character in the vocal performance here. There's a lot of performance 
in the vocal performance and there's a lot of attitude and even just that line where he goes do you really want to do this now i mean it's not shakespeare or anything but there's something about it where i absolutely get the intention and the tone and the way in which he's saying that and the absolute sort of almost semi-aggressive confrontational come on let's let you know let, let's do it you that really really comes comes across so i'm glad that you sort of talked about like the way it's delivered what this song reminds me of more than anything is I saw them do this in 2015. Me and you have got this really weird disconnect, haven't we, Paul, where you go on loads about the sound being awful at that gig, and I cannot remember that. And trust me, I am, as you, as we all well know, I am one to moan about terrible bass sounds. But maybe it was where we were in, in the stadium, uh, not the stadium, in the arena. I don't know, but I just don't remember that at all. But when I really remember this is seeing when I went to see Def Leppard in the Royal Albert Hall in 2018. And in that show, they essentially played the set list that they were playing on this tour for um, the Def Leppard album. And I really, really vividly remember them starting with Let's Go. And it's my most resounding memory from that show is Let's Go. And it, just, it went that it not saying it went down really well. It did go down really well, but I mean, it just sounded. It actually sounded really echoey, like they hadn't sorted the sound out yet, but it really worked for it. It was really, really good. And I don't know, it just totally reminds, reminds me of that Royal Albert Hall gig. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. I've got a question that I want to ask you about this song, but it also relates to the next song as well. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to save it until we talk about the next song and we can talk about, we can refer it to Let's Go and the next song, which is Dangerous. So... This is not a Savage and Elliot composition, but it is a Colin and Elliot composition. Joe says about it the following. This is one of Phil's tracks and it's from the same school of thought as Photograph or Promises. It's fast and it's up-tempo. It rocks and it will be a great song to play live. It was also one of the last tracks to get finished. Phil had an idea for the chorus that was close but not quite close enough. And then one day I had an epiphany. I got the chorus and once the chorus was down, the verse lyrics came easily. It's about the guy that always wants the dangerous woman the one with tattoos and spiky hair. Is that what dangerous women are? Okay. <laughs> My wife has not got tattoos and spiky hair. And, yeah, she's dangerous. Okay. So the one with <laughs> tattoos and spiky hair, it's better than a librarian unless you have a spiky haired tattooed librarian, which you can't really beat. I don't know where he was going with that. I think he might have had a few drinks. So, Paul, is this the most classic sounding Def Leppard song on? Def Leppard. Yeah, so if Let's Go isn't that, then Dangerous definitely is. Absolutely. It. My first note on it was that it sounds like it could have come straight off Adrenalize. That's sort of where I would pitch it in terms of its kind of pop rock. It, you know, they've basically left metal completely behind by this point. So it's got that pop rock thing. And it's very, you know, this is the first song on the album where we get a you know, Joe's just talked about dangerous women there. He is going on about bonking 
again on this. Uh, you know, you got me, you get me started. You've got me up all night. Leave it to your imagination. But it's classic Joe in that regards. So yeah, this is the. I, I would agree. I think you'll question him third that this is the most classic sounding Def Leppard song on the album. And that would be my view. Before I let you unpack it in whatever way you want, Kurt, and before I forget, I'm now going to ask the question that I was going to ask of Let's Go. So we can answer this in regards to both Let's Go and Dangerous. Is this a case of if you transpose Let's Go or Dangerous to Hysteria era, Adrenalize era, that these songs would have been big hits? You know, is it a little bit of a case of wrong place or wrong time? Or is it a case of, well, no, just the songs that were out around Adrenalize and Hysteria are actually better than Let's Go and Dangerous. So let's stick on Dangerous first. Could this be a, a hit? Could this be the massive song for Def Leppard if it was released in 1988 or 1990, 92, something like that? Yeah, I think Dangerous is on par with the best of what was out at that time. Let's go, I would say, a step below. I think Dangerous, even though it is a bit, you know, taking away from things like Photograph and Promises and other things like Animal or even Hallucinate, those are all kind of things in the same kind of vein. So yeah, sure, it's a little bit derivative, but I think it's on par with, you know, the singles from back then. Let's do a quick quiz for you then let's let's go back to what joe said what's better than photograph or dangerous <laughs> should, should we just move on <laughs> okay kurt hasn't rushed to answer that so i don't know photograph photograph or dangerous kurt um look i'm not gonna sit here and <laughs> claim this song is better than photograph but i listen to it more than photograph so there's that oh okay paul photograph or dangerous yeah, Photograph is a better song than this. <laughs> okay. Kurt, Promises or Dangerous? Ooh, I have to give the slight edge to Promises on that one. And I've had that torn as I, I think you had asked me about, you know, a list of my top however many songs. And Dangerous and Promises are both in that conversation. And I'm always waffling on which one I want to put first. And I think Nostalgia and the timing of promises gives it the edge i do think ultimately it's also a better song but dangerous isn't that far behind it all promises or dangerous this is a much more difficult one for me definitely i'll play the fatigue card and therefore i'll pick dangerous because promises has been around for 24 years at the time of recording so i'll pick dangerous but they're two peas in a pod stylistically i would go promises quickly then let's go or dangerous paul dangerous is better than let's go dangerous for sure oh let's go oh exciting right okay <laughs> just starting to break it down for when we get to the definitely pod playlist choice already paving the path of where we're gonna go so it's just a structure to it all right then okay has anyone else got anything that they would like to say about dangerous just one thing have to mention a brief conversation I had on Twitter in the build-up to this episode when you put out a uh, a teaser for it, Neil. Uh, Pete McCormick, I'm going to address you directly here, Pete, because you were quite clear on Twitter that you're not a fan of the lyrics across this album. And I think this album 
quite to the contrary, has got some absolutely fantastic lyrics on it. But there is one thing I want to pick up on, which is we get a line of automatic and static on this song, and it's almost repeated exactly later on in Energized. And I mentioned when we were discussing Let's Go that they do steal from themselves on this album. And uh, automatic and static becomes erratic and static later on on the album. And it's always leapt out to me, and I'll give you your due, Pete, that is bloody lazy, frankly. And it does stick out a little bit when you listen to the album as a collective. There is a classic on this after the solo. We get a classic Joe uh, sound as he kicks off into the like the, the last chorus. So uh, it's just this really just a lovely bit of Joe that I will make my final point on. Uh, it's funny because I never noticed the similarities on the lyrics between the two. And part of that might be because I don't listen to Energize as much as we'll touch on a bit later. But I never noticed it. So it, it never bothered me. It's not like if you listen to Aerosmith and you dive into their full discography over the years, you'll notice many phrases that Steven Tyler will drop into numerous songs. <laughs> and it, when I first started listening to them, that's kind of what I thought. I was like, why is he just reusing this? But then the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. And it almost just be, started becoming callbacks to different things and little Easter eggs. So I don't know. I guess I don't have any opinion on it, despite all the words I just dropped about it. See, I think there are times on albums where it is an Easter egg when that's done. Uh, what's a good example of that? Well, I think, I think if you listen to, like, the, we've mentioned it already, I think if you listen to the White Album, the White Album self-congratulates all the way through, like it does, like they do little riffs and refrains from different songs all the way through. But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think it is just an example of laziness as opposed to a piece of a bit of self-referencing. I mean, I'm being a bit of a dick here, aren't I, Kurt? You think I'm being harsh? <laughs> hey no <laughs> it is what it is and i'm not gonna i mean let's give dangerous all the credit and then let's take it away from energized how about that oh 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 i can tell we're gonna agree on that <laughs> and to be honest what kurt said was exactly what i was gonna say about no one listening to energize so it doesn't matter so we were very <laughs> much um, like-minded in that i think we can all like you know what let's just let's just say it now you know there doesn't need to be a twist here i think for all of us I would imagine that song's going to be the Nadia um, of this album. Um, so we can, you know, let's just put that out there now. In terms of self-referencing, Let's Go is a very Def Leppard sounding song. Not least it sounds like Let It Go. Um, let's Go would be Let Us Go. And then obviously you've got a song called Go of songs from the Spark Alliance. So there is a, it is very Def Leppard-y. And, even, and Dangerous just sounds like there's lots of Def Leppard single word songs, you know, Promises, Animal, and so forth. So, yeah, it just all sounds very, very Def Leppard. Going on to a song that might sound a bit like another band, okay? We are going to now talk about the song Man Enough, which is by Phil Collin and Joe Elliott. You got this reputation for calling all the shots. I got your invitation, so show me what you got. Are you man enough? Mm. You got me in a cold sweat with a lingering caress. A bullet in your chamber with no return address. If you can keep a secret, then we can make a deal. 
Joe says about this song. The song started when Phil said, I've got this bass lick. Can I just say, that's two songs I can think of that are based around a bass part. No, three songs that are based around a bass part, excuse the pun, that Sab hasn't written the bass lick to. So you've got Cruise Control of Songs from the Sparkle Lounge, which is around a bass riff that was done by Viv. You've got this one, and then you've also got Open Your Eyes on Diamond Star Halos, which I think was a Phil bass lick as well. Saying that, though, Sav's writing riffs to Let's Go, and he's writing he's writing a riff to another hit and run. He's writing a riff for Take What You Want. So I, I like the way the um, I like the way they all pick up each other's instruments and um, create different parts. Anyway, I'll go back to what I was saying. The song started when Phil said, "I've got this bass lick." He started playing it, and Sav went, "That's a bit tasty." <laughs> Do you reckon he really said that's a bit tasty? That's a bit tasty, he said. And then we realised right away, terrible accent, we reali- we realised right away that this was never going to be a standard rock song. It needed to have that kind ca- I'm laughing at myself. It needed to have that kind of bass-driven dynamic that another one by Sidust had, or, or Good Times by Sheik. If you listen to the guitar part that's chugging away under the second verse, it's not rock. I love that part, by the way, that he's talking about. It's like something you'd hear on a Prince record, or the Sly and the Family Stone. It's funky, and that's what Queen did on another One Bites the Dust. The lyric has got swagger about it. Are you man enough to be my girl? It puts a smile on your face. I love playing around with the English language. It's there to be bastardized. Hurt. Previously, in other episodes, you've referenced, you've referenced your sort of slight irksome feeling of Death Leopard writing what sound like Queen songs, and indeed you mentioned it 10 minutes ago as well. So this is a Death Leopard song that obviously has big leanings towards Queen with another one by Sadust. Does that affect your enjoyment of this song, yes or no? Uh, No. So it was interesting looking back at uh, the time frame of when the album dropped, because as I mentioned, I had only listened to Let's Go before this album actually came out because I was trying to savor it. I wanted to take an old school approach where I just heard the one single and then I got the album and listened to it. But I also had the internet, so I would see odd reviews or like when Dangerous came out as the second single a couple of weeks before the album dropped, it was getting near universal praise for being, you know, completely bona fide classic Def Leppard. And then there were mentions of this song, Man Enough. So (laughs) I went from, I cannot wait to hear Dangerous and then hearing Dangerous and having it completely deliver to, oh, now we have this thing that sounds like Queen and I've got a bit of PTSD after Love and Kings of the World. So (laughs) I was a little uh, reserved, you know, about what what this was going to be. But even though this is extremely derivative of another one bites the dust. I mean, if you play the two, you know, side by side, you're going to hear the same type of breakdown after the second chorus. I mean, it's, it's like to a T almost, but it's an extremely fun song and I absolutely love it. I didn't think it was going to come across well live because flashing back, you know, 15 years or so, when they tried to do back in your face live, I don't think it came across that well. I heard part of it in person and then we've got a 
you know, recording of it from the audience out there. And it, there was just a lot of space. So when they were gearing up to play this song live, I was really concerned that it wasn't going to translate. Lo and behold, it translated extremely well. And I think it kind of survived past the self-titled tour more so than the other songs did. The other thing that stands out about this song to me is that this is the first instance on the album where we hear the drum sound change. And I think that's interesting because in talking about how this album either sounds disjointed or cohesive, and I feel it sounds cohesive, despite the fact that it sounds cohesive, they changed the drum sound to suit the song throughout the entirety of this album. So for the first two tracks, we have that classic hysteria 80s style drums to suit let's go and dangerous but then we get to man enough and it kind of shifts a little bit to be a little bit more organic probably more like queen and then that's the theme that runs through the rest of the album but it doesn't make it sound disjointed so overall this is the first time where they go full derivative of queen and i absolutely love it maybe they can be funky after all because we (laughs) criticized them for attempting to do this kind of thing and i'm sure plenty of us have you know we've all suffered through all night for example and here we are showing actually they were able to do it all the time if they just ripped somebody off which is clearly what they've done but this comes back to the statement thing just happy to wear their influences on their sleeve lyrics again you got me in a cold sweat with a lingering caress a bullet in your chamber with no return address That is a fucking brilliant rhyming couplet. And this is a fucking brilliant song. I've got one beef with it, which unfortunately is something that carries over to occasional little moments on this record. It very much does feature on Diamond Star Halos at times. You sort of alluded to it, Kurt, when you were talking about the drum sound. In the breakdown bit of this song, we get this just entirely electronic synthetic bit that's for me completely unnecessary i'll pretend that doesn't exist and just go back to where i said that this is just fucking brilliant i absolutely love it see i think that's where we differ because i wanted to point out that breakdown bit as one of my highlights i think it's great and it's really really good and i know as we say this all the time and i don't want it to become a cliche but it is one where it definitely benefits from being listened to on headphones in terms of the stereo and the fact that the sound goes from one ear to the other and there's loads of other little subtle electronics in there and things that are going off that you wouldn't necessarily hear if you weren't listening to on headphones and i was going to ask you and you in particular paul as well because I know that you're not keen on the production from Songs from the Sparkle Lounge. Kurt, you just mentioned that you're not keen on the production either. I've recorded the Songs from the Sparkle Lounge episode. As people are listening to this, they'll have heard it. And I can confirm to you two gentlemen that Andy and Ben and Raj, who were on that episode, uh, but particularly Ben and Andy, made big mention of the production not being particularly great as well. So... We can definitely say there's a majority view of not liking the production. I was going to use this song as an example of actually where I think they've really turned it round in terms of production. And I mean, the production on songs from the Sparkle Lounge doesn't bother me too much, but I, I could. This is a much, much better produced album, and it sounds it's nowhere near like hysteria or anything, but it sounds like more effort has got into it sonically and more time has sort of been taken over it. 
And I thought this bit of Man Enough in particular was an exhibit A of this album's production being pretty good. But you're not keen, Paul? No, I'm not keen on it in terms of how it reflects upon the production. I'm not keen on it in terms of how it reflects upon the arrangement. The production is brilliant. That bass sound that drives this whole thing, and yeah, those chugging guitars that you mentioned earlier as well, Neil, and were picked out by Joe in that piece, absolutely fantastic. So we're we're listening to the same bit, but it's it's like we're picking on slightly different uh, different things about that bit. I think um, I don't know, Kurt. What do you think of that bit? Yeah, I, I think it suits the song um, because the rest of the drums do sound a little bit more organic like the snare drum during the chorus especially it just seems like it's getting hit extra hard and it makes it sound that much more organic to me compared to what we heard in let's go and dangerous so to revert back during that middle bit to more of an organic you know an electronic thing as he said it is a little bit i don't know it doesn't i guess fit with the rest of the song but it's never put me off one other comparison to another Def Leppard song i would make on this where I think it comes out head and shoulders above it, is the other Def Leppard man song, which is Make Love Like a Man. And when you hear Joe talk about that, they talk about you know, like it being tongue-in-cheek and it being like a level of humour. And I think quite a few of us think you know, that just doesn't really wash and it doesn't really work. I think that this song lyrically is what they think Make Love Like a Man is, and Make Love Like a Man isn't, but in this, it does work, because I think the lyrics are actually pretty clever in this. And even when they're not like necessarily clever, they're just they're just good, they work. Like I like the bit where it goes, when you move it to the music and you've got voodoo in your hips and the devil will approve it, so the question on my lips, and it goes, oh, you man enough. It all rolls off the tongue like really well. And to be honest, Mentioning devils and voodoo and things like that. It's just, you know, like it just sounds good in songs. And that is assonance, by the way, Paul. So all of that's like really cool, all of these half rounds and everything. And I think lyrically, there's quite a lot of good stuff in this, but I think just the way it's delivered throughout the album, I think it's one of the best Death Leopard albums for years for just that type of thing where, you know, oh, you know what? That isn't cringe. That isn't embarrassing. Yeah, that I did. That is actually quite funny. And I can see the porn and I can see what they're trying to do and everything. And I think they actually get it right on this song where they didn't on something like Make Love Like a Man. Right then, we'll go on to the next song. This is a Joe Elliott composition, and it is a song, We Belong. Sometimes I feel I don't belong here. Sometimes I just don't feel. I feel so things to say about this but right i want to hear what you want to say but before we listen to what you want to say this is what joe said when i was writing we belong i remembered something elton john once said when in doubt write a hymn this is not a religious song by any means but i wanted it to be soulful and meaningful everybody in the band sings lead vocal on this song and it was my idea people always go on about our vocals how great they are 
but they've never heard the other guys sing solo. And I said, I've got this song, and I really think it would be cool if we all sang lead. They were a bit surprised, but they all said, okay, why not? So in the first verse, I sing the opening line. Phil sings the second, Sav the third, and Vivian the fourth. In the second verse, Rick Allen sings the first line, and Phil, Sav, and Vivian. So it's that aspect that I want to touch on about this song first, Paul. Each member of the band sings a line. Is this just a little bit of novelty, a cheap gimmick, or does it actually add some value to this song? I think it adds massive value to a song that I personally don't think ever quite lands. But this version, we actually got in the fan pack version, the uh, an alternative vocal take of We Belong that just features Joe's vocals. And it's nowhere near as listenable because having the individual voices in this, where you've been listening to them as a, as a piece for such a long period of time, is such a pleasure. There's so much joy to be taken from it. Cheap gimmick, absolutely not. It adds an absolute... So it makes the song. Simple as that. It completely makes the song for me. Yeah, I think... They couldn't have done this on a more perfect song. I think Joe's lyrics really hit home, especially with Viv's lines, considering the you know illness and stuff he was going through at the time. I think it just adds a whole layer of depth to it. And I've said before, probably on different episodes, that I'm not a huge fan of other people singing on Def Leppard songs, whether it's someone within the band or more specifically outside the band but this one i was really excited to hear so i do think that it makes the song but there are times where i find myself preferring to just listen to the one with joe so like on my phone i have a couple different playlists set up where one is the normal album and the other one replaces the band album version of this with the joe only one and it just suits it depends on my mood at the time but I think the one with everybody singing is the better one. And you referenced Viv's lines there. And it is notable to say that when Joe wrote this and he wrote the lines, he very much wrote those lines with who would sing it in mind. And that's not to say that each line has a deep meaning to every member of the band who's singing it. But he was very mindful that if they were singing a line they would at least be able to relate to it or find something in it so just to reference Viv in particular and obviously we referenced that at the time he's been diagnosed with cancer and um, so forth his line in the first verse is sometimes I hide the sadness behind the painted smile and his line in the second verse is and there's nothing left to chance when there's nothing left to lose so you can see how that would uh, certainly apply whose voice yeah, particularly like that's not Joe, Paul. There's two points I've got. I think, first of all, the best voice is Rick Savage. I think Rick Savage's voice is completely beautiful, actually. I think he's a beautiful singer. I have to make mention of Phil, because Phil is classically an over-singer. He, he over-delivers on his lines. On... Kind of, if, if you're criticizing technically, I guess that comes across as a criticism. I think it's fucking brilliant, and I love hearing him go balls out and over the top on it. But 
I think Rick Savage has got the best voice of the lot. Yeah, I think Vibs really are the highlight for me. I, at the time, I was the most excited to hear Sav and Viv, and then I had, had just a mild curiosity about Rick because we've heard plenty of Phil at that point, you know, singing lead through Man Rays, and we had a little bit of Viv with his um, blues album that he had done. But Sav, we'd only really had one song where we got to hear him sing lead, which was a Queen thing again. And, you know, Viv, we hadn't really heard that in a Def Leppard environment. So to hear those two sing lead were the things I was most excited about. And those are the two that really stick out for me are Sav and Viv. I love the way Sav sings the word blues. I couldn't even do an impression of it, but everyone go back and listen to it. And now, in fact, I'll put a clip here now. It's just, it's just weird. But I mean, like good weird, like clues. I don't. It's just, it's just a weird way to sing it. But I, I really, really like it. Do you know what's really, really apparent to me when you hear Sav on his own? They talk about how important what Lang's vocals are in the backing vocal sound of Death Leopard, and it's a lot of him that's there, particularly on Hysteria and in things like Love Bites, and a lot of what you think of the Death Leopard sound. It is a lot of like Mutt Lang. But to me, you just hear how it's absolutely Rick Savage as well in terms of the backing vocals. Def Leppard's backing vocals do have a Alvin and the Chipmunks quality about it. And I think it's Savvy very much brings that. It's just He's got a really unique voice, which I think is what makes Def Leppard's backing vocals so unique as well. Am I going mad or can you really hear that as well? Or am I overstating it, Paul? No, 100%. I just not nodding completely. I, I don't really have... Well, we have talked in the past about how there are certain songs, probably post-Hysteria, where you can really hear the individual voices in the, in the layering of the backing vocals. It's something actually that I really love about When Love and Hate Collide, because it's a, a slightly rougher version of that classic production, and therefore there is a bit more distinct ness to the to the backing vocals and yeah I, I i always enjoy being able to pick out the individuals in the backing vocals and hearing them like this you absolutely it helps you to then hear what sav is doing when you then go back and listen to classic def leppard backing vocals absolutely neil spot on i think and just one final thing that i i personally wanted to say about this song is firstly i think joe elliott wouldn't be able to write a bad ballad or slow song if he tried. I think more than any other type of song, this is just where Joe just sort of comes into his own. And I love the fact for me that this is a continuation of Post X, which obviously the ballads on that, or most of the ballads on that, weren't written by the band um, anyway, certainly those ones near, near the beginning. But from songs from the Sparkle Lounge, what I particularly love about this period of Death Leopard is this is where they start replacing and writing a different type of ballad or slower song that isn't your classic sort of big rock power ballad. Now, don't get me wrong, my one of my two probably favourite Def Leppard songs of all time is Love Bites and I love Hysteria. Have you ever needed someone so bad? I love all of those. I love all of those songs. But I like the fact that since 2008, it's like, well, 
We've done loads of those songs. They're all brilliant. If you want to go and listen to us do that type of Def Leppard ballad, then anything from Bringing on the Heartbreak onwards, there's there's loads of them. But you know what? We've probably fancied trying a different one now. So whether you like Love or not, of songs from the Sparkle Lounge, I do. They've done something different on that. We Belong on this. There's a song that we're going to come to in the next episode, or still on this album, which is a very different type of ballad. You go on to Diamond Star Halos, and they're very different types of ballads or slower romantic songs or whatever you want to call it so i like this song as well just because this is a continuation of death leopards really spreading their wings and trying to do different things with the rock ballad um as such and i, I think this song is fantastic and one of my favorite death leopard songs i absolutely love it weirdly it wasn't in 2015 but for one reason or another i just it's grown on me loads in eight years um, so yeah there you go i think to oh. build on that the the quality of song, you'll hear many musicians reference how good a song is by its ability to be translated into an acoustic song. So when they did this in the residency in Las Vegas in 2019, I hadn't looked at the set list beforehand. So at my very first show, which was the fifth to last one, when they're all at the end of the catwalk and Rick starts to beat to this, I didn't pick up that this is what it was. I, I never expected them to actually play it live so when they did i was completely shocked and also excited at the fact that not only have we now heard them sing individually on the album now i get to hear them all sing live and i think this song translated extremely well to being an acoustic song and even though it is a new style i also feel that its closest relative is the song hysteria for me i think just the pacing of it and the fact that it's got a, a bit of a dual solo again, you know, I, that's the the two that I always associate together are Hysteria and We Belong. I can see that. Right, going on to the next song on this album. This is a Rick Allen and Joe Elliott composition. And Joe says about this song, which is called Invincible, this was the first song we wrote for the album, and it set the template for how everything else would go. We said, if this is all going to be this much fun, this is going to be a great record to make. It was Rick Allen who came up with that guitar lick, kind of like Rebel Yell meets Psychedelic Furs. And I said, can I take that and run with it? And by the end of the day, bang, it was done. And my guide vocal ended up on the finished track. That happens occasionally. You don't always have to labor over it. Joe says that this is the template for the rest of the album. Can you hear that? From a songwriting slash production slash approach standpoint, yes. Thankfully, the rest of the album is more varied and energetic than this. I think it's a good song. I don't think it's a great song. Um, initially, it kind of reminded me of like When Saturday Comes, but a more chill version of it. <laughs> So this is where I think we kind of take a step down after four extremely strong songs to, okay, here's an album track. It's not a bad album track by any means, but this is the first time on the album where I'm like, okay, we're going to 
settle down for a bit and come back to reality and not every single thing is going to be a top tier classic. Yeah, I love this. It's for me, it's an example of an understated Death Leopard chorus that really works. And I, in, in thinking that, I thought, well, what, what to me is an example where that doesn't work? And there is something off Diamond Star Halos that really leaps out to me, and that's SOS Emergency, which I think is, again, it's not going for that big soaring thing. It's just much more on a level sort of thing. And for me, SOS Emergency, it just doesn't quite land, whereas here, it really does for me. And I don't know, there's just something about this chorus that I really, really love. A couple of lyrics things again on it. I love the line about, uh, I bet your tears dried up before they hit the floor. Sounds maybe mm. a little bit cliched, but I tell you what, I think it's great. And a shiver looking for a spine. Brilliant. What a fantastic lyric that is. Just fantastic lyrics on that. And we met, there was a Joe vocal thing that we mentioned on Let's Go. And I must mention an individual Joe vocal thing on this song as well, which is that he, um, he pronounces last as last which is Joe doing that thing where he very much doesn't sound like he's from Yorkshire in order to make the rhyme and the melody sound uh, sound that uh, sound that bit better. So yeah, I, I, I'm minded to agree with Kurt that this is an album track, but it's an album track that I happen to love. I think it's great. And I was having a little thing about you know how like how is Rick Allen writing a guitar lick? But when I, when I like listened to it, I thought oh it's actually very doable this because in terms of like the bass, when you listen to it, it is all based around the rhythm of the bass. And I doesn't say that he came up with that, but I can hear very much how it's a drummer's song because it's that rhythm that drives it through. That rhythm initially comes out with the bass. The bass is only two notes. And then the actual guitar lick is only actually three notes. And, you know, you can play those notes by just putting your fingers on the fretboard. You don't necessarily need to, to play, play the strings um, on the main body. You could just play it like that. So... I can see how he's actually come up with this. And I think it's cool that he has, you know, come up with it. I think, I don't know if it was around this time. No, it was maybe a little bit earlier. I think 2006 when Nico McBrain wrote a riff or a song on, a, um, on an Iron Maiden album on the, um, what was it? They've all got dead in the title. I forget Dance of Death or yeah, one, was, that one. He writes a song called New Frontier on Dance of Death. Right then. Okay. So moving on to the next song, Sea of Love. This is a Phil Collins song. I think you can so tell this is a Phil Collins song, by the way. If we were doing quizzes on this, I think the three of us would have pretty good scores in guessing who wrote each song, or at least who was involved if there's a you know there's a couple of people. This this has got Phil Collins written all over it. So, Sea of Love. Oh, and Joe actually says, Phil wrote this one. Music, melodies, lyrics, the lot. All we added were the soul harmonies, like you'd hear on a Stone song which was sung by Debbie, the singer in Delta Deep. When we were working out those harmonies, I did them trying to sound like a black chick, which is not easy when you're from Sheffield. For the lead vocal, I pretty much followed Phil's guide vocal from his demo, and afterwards he said, fucking hell, you sound like Lenny Kravitz, does he? Anyway, it's a song that's got a lot of soul. It's us stretching our wings a little. It doesn't sound like anything we've done before, but it does sound like Def Leppard. Paul. Earlier on in the introduction, 
I called you energized. In the, the verse, at least, is this one of the most energetic songs on this album? Because I think it's blisteringly good, I must say. Which makes me reflect on what you've just read and think, I reckon I can see the Lenny Kravitz thing that Phil has picked up on there. I, I don't know that it's as outrageously stupid as, as it maybe sounds uh, initially. Um, I... This is an album track without being filler. It's another one that I think is great. And it does seem to have that really upbeat, open heart, open-minded feel. Phil's got this uh, slight hippie-ish tendency to him. And I think it's definitely present here. It's it's just another little gift on this album for me, this song. Well... <laughs> To set the table a bit, after Sparkle Lounge in 2008 and the expectation for new Def Leppard music kind of really dried up, but there was an explosion of side projects. And then we would hear various side project songs, especially with like Man Rays. I would hear things like Every Second of Every Day or Skin Crawl or Low or Over My Dead Body, Miss Me. And I would think, damn, those could have been great Def Leppard songs. And I would get really frustrated at the lack of new stuff from Lep and this explosion of new stuff from side projects and contradictory statements from the band and all this stuff. So when this album came around, I believe this was a song that was written for Delta Deep. And then it got leopardized and put onto here. And it's my least favorite song on the album. <laughs> so I guess it's a case of be careful what you wish for. Uh, I don't hate it by any means, but it just doesn't quite work for me. At the time, it was my least favorite. Now it's my least favorite. Looking at the play stats on my phone, it's the least played. It's not bad, but I skip it a lot. Can I point of order here? You honestly play Energized more than you play this. I will give you the exact numbers. So as of December 31st of 2022, Sea of Love had 104 plays on my phone. Energized had 109. <laughs> and I'll tell you why that is. When I mentioned before that I had a couple different playlists set up for this album, I do have one that omits three songs from this and it turns it into an 11 track album and Sea of Love and Energized got the axe so sometimes when i have less time to listen to something i'll turn on that so that i can skip straight from invincible to all-time high and that's why those two songs sit way below at the bottom fair play i would say i think the best bit of this is absolutely brilliant it's an absolute little bit it reminds me a little bit of on songs from the sparkle lounge hallucinators got a really good verse and then a not very good chorus I think this one has a really good verse and an okay chorus. But what I do like in this, I think this is one where they get back to a more subtle way of including their influences, but actually sounding like Death Leopard as opposed to sounding like Queen. Or because, and I love the the backing vocals and this these like really seventies like high pitched Queen like screechy backing vocals that come in like right right at the beginning and they're there like in the chorus as well i think that's like really really cool i think this song's really really good and i agree with you paul in terms of it feels very album track 
without it actually being filler. I can definitely go along with that. We'll go on to the next song, which is Energized, played 109 times by Kurt. Right? I mean, that's 109 songs worth of time you'll never get. You'll never get back. <laughs> in your life and i am going to give us the option after i've read what joe says is do we really want to talk about this can we just skip it but we'll see you know you might have lots of things i've got nothing to say about it other than i don't like it and it's in my bottom 10 worst Def leopard songs ever so that's where i am and that's all i have to say on it. anyway uh poor phil it's a phil song sorry phil and joe says it's the one song that's vastly different to everything else you got that right joe we so we sat it right in the middle of the album kind of like Balancing the seesaw. Phil wrote it, and it's almost like a dance song, which is why we use programmed drums instead of real drums. On the rock and roll stuff, we wanted Rick to fucking rock out. But this song is different. The way Radio Gaga is totally different kind of song to March of the Black Queen. Energized doesn't sound typically Def Leppard, but there's no reason why we can't do this kind of song and push the boundaries. optional question for you kids has pushing the boundaries worked here look it's the most left field song on the album by far even with so much variety this is the one that maybe was a little too far um just with you know the digital electronic approach and sound effects and stuff i do think it's pure ear candy i think it sounds phenomenal through headphones if you're into that kind of stuff i guess and i do think it's catchy the backing vocals are awesome uh, i think this wouldn't have been out of place on something like x maybe if it was slightly more organic You're that's absolutely where... right Kurt, Kurt. you are absolutely <laughs> yeah, right this would not <laughs> have been at all out of place on x you are absolutely right let me say the caveat that i love x okay <laughs> now it is my second least favorite song on the album in 2015, it was my least favorite song on the album, but there, there's something about it that I do appreciate just because it does sound so good. And it kind of reminds me of something like U2's Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, just with the tempo and the production. And I like Joe's vocal lines, how they're kind of overlapping the cadence of them. Something just registers in my head and it gets stuck, even though I don't listen to it that often. So you know, I'll, I'll give it that. Hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me. Banger, certified. Can we all agree with that? And if anyone's yep. never heard that song for whatever reason, please go and seek it out. This, for me, is, it is absolute shite, and I think it should have been binned. I've got, a, on the, your point about ear candy, Kurt, I did listen through headphones and found something as a result of doing that that made this even worse for me, I'm afraid. And if you listen very carefully, you will know that the click track has been left on this. You're nodding yep. at me. So it is something you've noticed before. It also happens on Lifeless, on Diamond Star Halos. And once you notice it's there, you can't unhear it. And actually, on your ear candy point, I'm afraid it, it would ruin that completely for me. So it was just another reason for me to go, just get rid. It's funny because it, that bothers me on Lifeless, but on energized because the whole thing is so electronic 
it doesn't bother me there. I think it kind of fits there. So I can see why they would have left it. Whereas lifeless is so much more organic that having that in there is distracting to me. And I think we probably just ruined that song for a selection of people. No, no, you haven't. Cause I love that song. And from pretty much day <laughs> one, when Paul first heard it, he was banging on about it all the time on WhatsApp. And I was thinking, Oh, you bastard. I'm not going to be able to not hear that now. And he said it a million times and I can hear the, the sound that he's talking about. And it doesn't make the blind bit of difference to me. So everyone else, you're, you're okay. You're okay. Um, you, you might still be able to exist. Uh, listening to that song. One thing actually I will say positive about this song, which which is a little production thing, is obviously the lines that Joe sings have been sang individually and at different points to each other. And I do like the way that they overlap just very, very slightly. So just as one word is fading out, the next line actually comes in, which I would imagine is physically impossible, but they've just a slight overlap. I quite like that little novelty of the song that's quite a little interesting work that they've done with it right you would think that that's it we've done seven of 14 surely a band would like to have symmetrical two records with seven and seven you know they'd be thinking in 2015 do you know what if some lads one day did like a podcast on this and they wanted to split it into two episodes and they wanted to be more or less the same length then it would be great if we did seven and seven but no, they didn't. Mutlang wasn't there to make them just be perfect in that way. And they actually banged on an eighth song. But what an eighth song it is. It is all time high. You knocked me out like a wrecking crew. Come back on my feet and all over you. Faster than I've ever been before. I'm on an Another song by Joe Elliott. And Joe says, This is one of mine. It was the second song we did after Invincible. We really came out of the gate flying. I showed everybody the chords, showed Rick the tempo, and these guys were playing the song Bang On within 30 minutes. It's just a full on rock song, really fun to play. It's not a piece of genius that makes you think of Bob Dylan, but on the other hand, it's not boring. It doesn't sound like a bunch of old men. It sounds young and refreshing, and that's because it's so bloody simple. Paul, does it sound young and refreshing to you? No, I'm afraid. It. This is, for me, filler. I've got a quiz, quiz question for you both. This song title was used as the theme for which Bond film? Two blank stairs. No? No idea. Everything's about a poster right outside my office, so I feel like a failure right now. Uh, well, I mean, you're behaving like a failure, Kurt. The, uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's All Time High by Rita Coolidge was the theme for Octopussy, Roger Moore's really? 1983 outing as Bond. And this song is not as good as that song, I'm afraid, is my opinion on it. It's not a song I'm a fan of. Yeah, and I feel like I'm going to absolutely be in the minority. There are another two lyrics that I will pick up on. I think, well, one in particular, I'm a poster boy for bad behavior, I think is a great lyric. And I do like the I will not go quietly bit. I think it really rocks around that point. But apart from that, 
I'm afraid I find this quite stodgy rock filler. Soz. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the it's funny because when I went back to read the review I wrote, there is one thing that I forgot that I wrote. So keep in mind, this is in 2015. So in 2014, Steel Panther released an album called All You Can Eat, which is possibly, I'd say, my second favorite Steel Panther album. There's a song on that called Fucking My Heart in the Ass. And there was something about All Time High that the first time I heard it, it reminded me of that song. But I love that song, so it wasn't bad. <laughs> Thankfully, I've been able to disconnect the two since then. But yeah, I love All Time High. I will take that one you know, to the grave. I'll be the one to stand up for it. You can have Sea of Love and I'll defend this one. So yeah, yeah. I, I think this is complete... I could have seen this one as a single. If we dropped the 2015 album during a time where Def Leppard was at their commercial peak, I could have seen this being one of the singles, maybe not the first or second, but maybe even third or fourth. I think it's just a classic Def Leppard sounding rocker. Um, This is another one on this album where they address one of the issues I had with songs from the Sparkle Lounge, where Joe really locked himself into a very small range on song from the Sparkle Lounge, whereas on the 2015 album, he wasn't afraid to push himself when it was necessary. And we hear that a bit on All Time High, where he will go a little bit higher in the verses or in the vocal breaks. And especially at the end of the song, he's going full high register, which I don't know that we heard except for maybe once on songs from the Sparkle Lounge. So this song, I believe this song actually was the second track out but not officially this song leaked before dangerous was released as a single back in 2015 so that was further temptation that i had to resist but it was another one where the reception to it for those that did choose to listen was very good then so it's held up for over time you know for them and probably me i think what you said about it being like the classic death leopard rocket i think that is definitely the the parameters by which you can judge it or which you can compare it to other songs and i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna annoy paul now i i think because i'm gonna say that you know we talked earlier about you know if you took a dangerous or let's going then you put, put it in um you know like hysteria era or adrenalized era era does it do something i don't get me wrong i'm not saying this is one of the best Def leopard songs of all time but in terms of a, a classic rocker Def leopard album track that isn't one of the singles i think this is better than run riot i think it's better than don't shoot shotgun i think it's better than tear it down i think it's better than and i want to be your hero i don't think it's better than ring of fire but in terms of that ilk of death leopard song i think this is actually better and also i think if you give it a hysteria type production then it would be better Again, another song that's similar to this that I would say a similar thing for is Tomorrow of Songs from the Sparkle Lounge as well. I think that's a a similar era. Right then, okay, so we've done side one, record one, whatever you want to call it. We've done eight songs, so I tell you what, when we do what we're going to do now, which is pick a song from this side for the Ultimate Death Leopard playlist that we're now coming to the concluding part of, think we've just got a few more songs and then that will be um, complete well normally we've only got a pick between you know if it was adrenalized five songs this one we've got a pick from eight so i'll just go through them for you paul and care to remind you what they are and then we're gonna hear your choice for what song would go on the death left pod ultimate playlist we've got let's go we've got dangerous we've got man enough we've got we belong 
invincible, sea of love, energized, and all-time high. Paul, we'll come to you first. Dangerous. Kurt? I would be okay with one of three different songs, but my number one is Dangerous. Out of interest. It's, it's dangerous, okay? I personally would go with We Belong, I think, or All Time High, but I'm more than happy to go with Dangerous. I will I will bow to the wisdom of you two young men. So just out of interest, okay, as what other ones were contenders? Uh, we Belong and probably Let's Go. I think All Time High is a better song than Let's Go, but just with, you know, again the specialness of let's go for me it gives it a little bit of an edge in that regard but i can make a case for we belong all day long so you want to split hairs 1.5 each <laughs> did you have any other contenders paul let's go man enough invincible a push we belong i really i think this is just a a great first half of a record brilliant so the songs to go on the death left pod ultimate Def Leppard playlist is dangerous. Right, Paul, Kurt, I'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye. See ya. See ya.